We come to the last series about Abraham, not because we've finished the Bible story, but we've run out of time, that's all. As next week we begin our thanksgiving thoughts, turning our hearts towards being thankful, helping us to do that. So we finish up our series on Abraham that we had through the fall uh, in Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter number 22 for our text today as we finish up the story of Abraham. When we were back in school, we used to take tests. That was a series of questions that were used to see if you'd learn the material that was taught in the class. It was a test of your knowledge. You remember those, I'm sure. There are other types of tests. Sometimes a test is used to measure a person's honesty. When I worked at Pepsi, there was often a lot of cash around, and a worker who went to fill a vending machine would empty the money out of the machine and turn that money in at the end of the day. And if the machine sold five cases of Pepsi, there should be enough money collected from the machine to cover five cases. And if the money turned in seemed a little short, then you might do a test to check and see if the person filling the machine was also filling his pockets. One of the tests we used was to go to the vending machine before the fella got there and count the money in the machine, see how much there was, and if he turned in the same amount that was counted ahead of time, then he was an honest man. If not, he was probably stealing. And some of the thieves were very clever. I remember some kept two sets of books. One was the paperwork he turned in at night, and the other was the receipt he gave to the customer. <laughs> we caught one fellow who left his fake book under the seat of his truck. What's that? What's that? <laughs> caught another fellow who liked to steal golden dollar coins. You may have seen those. They're in circulation. He got a few from each vending machine. And at the end of the week, he'd take all his golden coins he stole all week and deposit them in the bank. And the bank teller got suspicious and called us, told us this fellow deposited gold and dollar coins every week to his account. Now he probably could have spent them at McDonald's and nobody would have noticed. <laughs> but he proudly deposited them in his bank account. So he got caught. Sometimes tests like that are to measure moral qualities to see if a person is honest. There are other kind of tests too. When we first started here in our church and we decided we have an idea of a cleaning list, let different people clean the church. And I used to do a few little tests. If I found a half a cup of coffee in the windowsill or over on the mantel, wherever it was left, uh, I left it there. And I left it there to see if the cleaners that week would find it. And that's how I got to know who were the best cleaners. <laughs> so a test can measure your knowledge, how much you learn. A test can measure your honesty, your moral standards, or sometimes a test can just see how observant you are when you're cleaning. 
in our text today, there's a test. Of all the tests that I have taken, this test is the most difficult one I have ever seen. And I'm sure if I had to take this test, that I would fail. So let's see what the test is all about. And let's see if you could pass this test. Genesis chapter 22. I begin reading at verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. So God decides to test Abraham. In King James, the old King James, it said God tempted Abraham. Your more modern versions might say uh, God tested Abraham. There's a verse in the Bible in the book of James that says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And so uh, God never tries to trick you into doing something wrong. That's just not who God is. But God may test you just to see how faithful you are. So God is about to test Abraham's faith. And let's see how the test works. Chapter 22, verse 2 of Genesis. And he said, Now take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Did we read that right? Did God just tell Abraham to sacrifice his son on an altar as a burnt offering? Did God really mean that? Who ever heard of such a thing? Can it be? Did God really say that? And did Abraham hear it right? Now, you understand that back in the time where Abraham lived, children were sacrificed as burnt offerings to a false god named Moloch. And the people who lived in Canaan, the place where Abraham wandered about living in his tent, these people sacrificed children to their false gods. It was the main reason that God would wipe them off of the face of the earth eventually. It was a great evil thing. But now God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son on an altar. Can that be? Notice how exact is God's instruction. God uses four phrases to describe what he wants. Sacrifice first your son. Second, your only son. Third, Isaac. Fourth, the one you love. There's no question about it. Abraham's son, the promised one, the one he had when he was 99 years old, and Sarah, his wife, was 90, their only child. They were so happy, they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And you waited a hundred years to have this boy, and you named him laughter, and you just love 
him to pieces. And you've watched him grow and you've seen him learn to walk and to talk and you've watched him sleeping at night in his bed, the things that parents do. And you sang to him and you've talked to him and you've hugged him and kissed him and he's made your life so pleasant. And now God says to offer him as a burnt offering, that is to kill him, set him on fire in a ring of stones. Does God really want that? Is this right? Abraham is to travel to a place called Moriah. It's about 70 miles north from where Abraham has his tent pitched at this time. And there are some mountains up there towards Moriah. And God said, go there and I'll show you the mountain on which I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Now, my friends, if we read carefully our text, there's something totally amazing about this passage. Don't miss it because it tells you so much. We see in the first verse that God said, Abraham. And Abraham said, right here, Lord, behold, see me, I'm right here. And my friends, that's all he said. That's all he said. Now, my friends, if God told me, if God said to me, Eric, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, Levi, whom you love, you better believe I'm going to have a lot to say. I'm going to say no. I can't. I'm going to say, no, I don't want to. No, I won't do it. And I'm really going to ask, why? Why? Why would you ask me to do such a thing? I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to be sad, and I'm going to shout, and I'm going to cry, and I'm going to argue, and I'm going to give a brilliant defense, and I will plead, and I will bargain, and I will state my case before God. But Abraham didn't say anything. Not one word. He didn't say no. He didn't ask why. He didn't argue. He didn't plead. He didn't say anything. Now watch this, verse 3. Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up, went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. It's been three days. And Abraham hasn't said a word. Now off in the distance is a mountain. God showed him which one. Some people think there was a cloud of fire on the mountain. 
some clear sign that there's the one, there it is, that's the mountain, I want you to sacrifice Isaac, your only son, whom you love. So finally, Abraham says something. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Remember, Abraham is well over a hundred years old now, maybe a hundred and twenty. So he stacks the firewood on Isaac's back. And he takes the long knife and a torch and off the two of them go to climb that mountain. Now my friends, the question is, Screaming off the pages. What is Abraham thinking? He's not talking. I would like to think that when people aren't talking, they're thinking. I know that's probably not true of everybody, all right? Some people talk and never think. But Abraham's thinking. What's he thinking? Is he silently arguing with God? Is he crying inside? Is he sad and weak? Shocked by it all? Does he say, Lord, I just can't do this. I've got to know. What is he thinking? The longer he remains silent, the more I need to know, Abraham, what's on your mind? What are you thinking? And then comes the one question that you were hoping to avoid. If there's one question you hope nobody asks, this is it, verse 7. And Isaac spake to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And one question that Abraham didn't want anyone to ask is, Where is the lamb? I remember the day when my own mother was in the hospital. And the doctor said, she can never go home again. I've arranged for her to go to the nursing home. And so that day I loaded her in the car and I took her to the nursing home. And I took her in, went to her room, her new room on the third floor. And then she looked at me right in the eye and she asked that one question that I didn't want to answer. He looked me right in the eye and said, Am I to stay here? I couldn't answer her. I got all choked up and went out in the hall. I knew the answer, but I just couldn't say it. 
Isaac asked, where's the lamb? What a horrible question for Abraham to answer. Now let's stop for a minute. Because we still don't know what he's thinking. We need to go back. Back in the story of Abraham. When Abraham was 75 years old, God appeared to him and said, I want you to leave home. And Abraham said, okay, where am I going? God said, go to Canaan. And Abraham said, what's my destination there? And God said, no place special, just wander around. So Abraham did it. And for the last 45 years, he's been wandering around in Canaan. And then God said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bless every family in the whole world through your family. So Abraham, your family will be as many as the dust of the earth, as many as the stars of the sky. So Abraham waited. And he waited. And he waited. He got old waiting. He waited 25 years until both he and his wife were too old. And he waited. And finally when he was 100 and his wife Sarah was 90, they had this first baby boy, Isaac. And all this time, Abraham was move his tent and then build an altar and talk to God wherever he was. Sometimes God appeared to him in a vision. Sometimes God appeared to him in a dream. They spoke so often, the Bible says they became good friends. And then one day we saw God just dropped in for dinner like an old friend. And together they ate good beef and fresh bread and cold milk. They were very good friends. And Abraham trusted God enough to leave home. He trusted God enough to wander for the rest of his life. He believed God would give him a son. And that son would become a great nation. And even better, his family would be a blessing to every family on earth. And Abraham believed what God said. And then comes a test. Go sacrifice on Mount Moriah. My friends... Our problem is that when we read about Abraham, we think he's just like us. <laughs> we think he must be arguing with God. He's got to be sad. He must be brokenhearted because that's what we would feel like if God said that to us. But God and Abraham are best of friends. Abraham loves God and trusts him with all his heart. And God said, I'll give you a son to be your heir. He will be the one to inherit your household. So, I know that Isaac will be my heir. God said so. I know he will inherit my household. God said so. He's the promised son who will be part of the family that will bless every family on earth. God says so. So how does Abraham think about this latest command? Go and sacrifice Isaac. What is he thinking? My friends, what a pleasure it is to be friends with God. If God is your friend, you can trust him. 
Abraham trusts God completely. So, there must be a logical answer. There must be a way for God to keep his promises. And that's what Abraham is thinking about. He's going over it in his mind. And we actually do know what he was thinking. Not because he said it out loud because he never did. But because of what he did. Verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. Abraham built an altar there. Laid the wood in order. Bound Isaac his son. Laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand. And took the knife to slay his son. He's going to do it. Has he lost his mind? How can he do it? What's he thinking? Well, we do know what he was thinking. The Bible tells us over in Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to what it says. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, tested, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. That's what he was thinking. He thought, where did I get Isaac from? I got him from God. When did I get him? When my body and my wife's body were both too old, too old to have babies. That part of us was dead. So to speak, Isaac came from the dead. So, if God promised to make Isaac the son through whom the family would come, and if God said sacrifice him on an altar then the only logical conclusion is that God will raise him from the dead after I kill him and sacrifice him God will raise him up from the dead that's the only way God can keep his promises wow you and I don't think like that do we wow but Abraham, my question is, God has never raised anybody from the dead before this. Yeah, that's true. A thousand years later into the future, Elijah the prophet will raise a young boy from the dead. And Elisha, his follower, after him will raise two people from the dead. And go three thousand years into the future and Jesus will raise three people from the dead but that's three thousand years in the future so how does Abraham come to the conclusion that God will raise Isaac from the dead because he's God's friend 
And the one thing about God is that He is a life-giving force. He is life itself. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And Abraham sensed the life-giving energy that comes from God as he's eating lunch with him. And Abraham was right about his friend because the Bible says when the last day on earth comes and the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That my friends is you and me you and I will feel the resurrection power of God when he raises us from the dead Abraham trusted God and he took the knife and he drew it back verse 11 the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven said Abraham Abraham he said here am I he said lay not thy hand on the lad Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. God stopped it just at the last minute. Why? Because he passed the test. He obeyed. He did in his mind sacrifice his son. But God is not cruel. God's not some kind of monster. God's a friend you can trust. Obey him and you will see he can work it out for you. Now watch this. Verse 13. Abraham lifted his eyes, looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for burnt offering instead of his son. Now my brother, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> you can go nature and watch rams. I've seen them out in the wild. They never get caught in the brush. It just doesn't happen. Alright? But there it was. Stuck in the brush. Abraham had told his son, God will provide himself a lamb. But my friends, there's so much more than that. This ram with his horns stuck in the bushes. Verse 14. Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah Jireh. God will see our situation. He looks down and God will provide for us. Now my friends Let's get down to the meat of this story, shall we? Mount Moriah was one of several mountains in that area. And later on, the city of Jerusalem would be built on Mount Moriah. And that exact mountain, which would eventually be called Mount Zion, on the top of that mountain would be the home of the Jewish temple. The crowning top of that mountain, the altar of sacrifice on which thousands of lambs would be offered for centuries. That very same mountain. And every time the sacrifices of the lambs were made, Isaac's question would be repeated. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And for centuries and generations it went on and the question was repeated over and over again. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And finally it's John the Baptist who sees Jesus coming over the hill and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world 
There in Jerusalem, he was crucified for you and me. But three days later, he arose from the grave. Abraham's reasoning was perfect. If the lamb is to be sacrificed, the only conclusion is that he must rise from the dead. And so when the real lamb was sacrificed, the lamb of God, three days later, he rose from the dead. Abraham decided to sacrifice his son before he ever left home. And it was all accomplished in his mind. It took three days to get to Mount Moriah. And there a substitute was made. And Isaac lived, as it were, resurrected from the dead on the third day. And God saw, and God provided, and God saw a need for a Savior and provided his son. Abraham was asked to offer his son, his only son, whom he loved. But God stopped him before he could plunge a knife into Isaac. But when God offered up his only son, no one stopped. He sacrificed his son, his only son, whom he loved. All for us. So it was, my friend. Abraham's family had become a blessing to you and your family and me and mine. As we approach the Thanksgiving season, what shall we say? Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jehovah Jireh, who saw our need and provided for us a lamb. And has based it all on resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. So we come to the end of Abraham's life on a high note. May we learn to think like Abraham. May we believe God and trust in him with a boundless confidence. And most of all, may we obey. I hope you learned a lot from Abraham, the friend of God. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story and its gripping nature, how it encourages us to follow more closely and to believe you more and to do what you want us to do. Help us, Lord, that we might be faithful to you, ever faithful, ever believing, and never doubt you, never doubt your motive, and never doubt your word. We thank you for the death of the Lamb and the resurrection that comes. We are grateful to you for what you've given us. Bless us as we consider these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I get to turn in your hymn book, if you will. The only song I can think to sing, page 100, Christ Arose. Stand together as we sing 100, Christ Arose.
Raised from the dirt domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, for a myriad Christ arose. Vainly they watched his bed, Jesus, my From the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, he arose. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus, my Savior. He turned those fires away. From the dark domain, they live forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Amen. Everybody said? Amen. You better say it better than that. <laughs> Dear Lord, we are thankful for this thought on Abraham to know that he was dearly your friend. We long to have that relationship so that we trust you implicitly, trust you to the point of believing in resurrection power and that nothing can hold you back. The love of God is so deep and so wide and so broad we can never measure it all. We are thankful, Lord, for the faith that Abraham had and even much more for the love that you had for us that you would give your only son to die so that we could be forgiven, that we could go to heaven, that we could have a new opportunity we are thankful for these things, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our faith, strengthen us, and grow in our relationship towards you to know you better. We thank you for this, and we ask for help and protection as we go out into the world. Bring us back to this place safely, we pray. Watch over us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.